All right, I'm going to check and make sure everybody's awake. A little audience participation up front. I am going to tell you a story, going to show you a picture, and I'm going to play you a video clip. Okay? And then you, three things. And then you need to tell me what they have in common. All right? First, the story. Famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. He and his sidekick, Watson. If you know the story, please don't blurt out the... They're on a camping trip. And they're lying there. And Holmes goes to Watson. Watson, look at the sky and tell me what you deduce. And Watson goes on this long, long deal. The stars, they're beautiful. There's so many of them. There's so many of them. There's got to be other light, but just on and on and on and on and on he goes. Holmes, very frustrated, goes, Watson, you idiot. Someone's stolen our tent. Okay. Here is the picture. You can't read that. It says, I would probably do a lot better. There's a D on the kid's paper circled. I would probably do a lot better if you just teach me the stuff I already know. Okay? And here is the video clip. I don't go to church to be preached at as though I were some lost sheep. Mayor, you don't seem to understand what the church is for. Minnie, if there's one place a church should leave alone, it's a man's soul. Okay. What do they have in common? Disconnect from, yeah. Okay. In other words, missing the point. Right? They're missing the point. So this morning, as we continue on in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to look at a handful of people who miss the point. And then we're going to see one guy who's really close to getting the point. But before we get there, we're going to do a little bit of quick history. This is um, chapters 11 and 12 in the Gospel of Mark. There's a handout that um, Gail and Stacy are bringing around that I'm going to go through some of this stuff pretty quick so you can, you can refer back to it. But I would encourage you to read uh, 11 and 12 on your, on your own. So first, quick history. You're going to hear names like Pharisees, Herodians, and Sadducees as we talk about chapters 11 and 12. The Pharisees were religious leaders and teachers. They were, um, they were fastidious about keeping the law down to the smallest, smallest detail. But where they got tripped up was it became an external thing for them. And it was, it was um, Jesus called them out repeatedly. Repeatedly, he called them out for this Hippocratic behavior. And as he began to rise in, in uh, prominence and popularity, he stole the crowds from the people. The people were kind of attached to the Pharisees at this time, and they began to become more attached to Jesus. They added, in, a, in an attempt to explain the law of the Old Testament, they added something called the oral traditions or the tradition of the elders. And they often paid a lot more attention to those things than they did to God's law. Right? So they added to God's law. The Herodians were basically a political party. This was a group of Jewish people who, uh, Israel at this point was in occupied, it was part of the Roman Empire. Right? The Roman Empire, brutal, occupying enemy that just ran, um, ran the area. So the Herodians thought the best way to make life work 
was to align themselves with the Romans and just be in lockstep with them. The Sadducees, that last group up there, these guys were the cultural elite. They had money. They were old school, hard line religious leaders. They only believed in the first or acknowledged the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. And they read them very, very literally, okay? First, just the first five books. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. They only acknowledge those, those first five. All right. Um, a couple of things from this quick history lesson. You're going to hear the term temple courts or courts of the Gentiles, depending on what translation you have in your Bible. Um, this is a picture of the temple. This is like the center of, of Jewish life. And that the tallest part is the Holy of Holies, right? That's, there's only one man that's allowed to go in there. And then there's the court um, of men around that. And then there's the court of women. And then there's the court of Gentiles or the temple courts. That's the biggest area that you see. A simpler version is this stick figure version, right? So you, you get the idea. The, the people who were... Um, who were not a part of the nation of Israel were only allowed to go so close. And that's where um, they were allowed to go within, within the temple. So just keep, keep that in mind. You're also going to hear a term, a denarius. It's Roman money. It's a coin. And it looked something like this. But what's important about that is the, the inscription, right? Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of divine Augustus. Tiberius Caesar, son of God. Right? That's what it says on that money. Okay? So when you hear that term come up, I want you to keep that fresh. Two ideas from this. Old Testament Judaism, going all the way back to the beginning when God gave the law to Moses to give to the people. The first, the first law, the, the law that's contained in the prayer that a Jewish family, Jewish people will say every day, the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your mind. Right? And then the second piece of that in Leviticus, also in those first five books, this is so everybody is, is onto this, love your neighbor as yourself. This was Old Testament Judaism, and all the other laws were to support those two things, right? The, over the course of time, the nation of Israel struggled. They struggled to keep to allow God to stay in his place as God. They wanted to do things their own way. They wanted to find things as right and wrong, just like we do today. And as a result, the Jewish society, um, well, lots of things happened, but for the sake of our conversation, it, it fractured into these groups, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, groups you won't hear today, Essenes and Zealots, and they all had a different opinion of how things should go to make life work and to to make sure that Messiah would come, right? The predicted Jewish Messiah. New Testament Judaism, that's the New Testament Judaism. It got, it got fractured and everybody kind of lost the plot, right? They missed the point and that's where, that's where we find ourselves at right now. All right, so the beginning of chapter 11. This is, chapter 11 starts the last week of Jesus's life, what some Christians traditions refer to as Palm Sunday. Jesus's triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. He goes through this little town, Bethany, and he starts making his way into Jerusalem. He goes in, and it's nighttime. You kind of see it's getting dark. Things in the temple are winding down. He leaves, and then he comes back. And he comes back, 
and he finds the temple courts. Remember that outside part where that was the only place where the the non-Jewish people were allowed to go? Filled with money changers and merchants. I'm going to read you that passage, just a couple of verses. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. In the other Gospels, it describes a little bit more about how he did this. Like, Jesus was not happy. He was turning over tables, and he had made a cord, and he's, like, knocking stuff around. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. People would come, and they would have to exchange their money for the temple money. And the guys who were doing this, like, oh, this is a little opportunity to make some money. So there was a charge. There was a fee, right, like those service, those handling fees, that we pay, there was a fee to, to change the money. So these guys were making money off of the, the things of God. And it's, it's interesting that Mark includes the selling of doves, right? There were, other, there were other animals being sold there. People would have to come from far away. Seven times a year, people would have to come for these feasts. And the, instead of bringing their own animals for the sacrifices with them, they would get to the temple and they would purchase them there. Mark specifies selling of doves. The doves were um, a financially expedient sacrifice. They were acceptable, right? But they were also um, for women, right? If a woman was by herself, if she didn't have a husband back in the day, if she didn't have a way to provide for herself. And so Mark points out that the money changers were there taking advantage. They were in the courts of the Gentiles and they were selling doves, right? They were taking advantage of the people who are already marginalized and oppressed and kind of pushed to the outskirts of society. And he would not let anyone carry merchandise through the temple courts. They were also using the temple courts as like a shortcut to get through, through the town. So there's all this nonsense going on. As he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, right? That's the, the in other parts of the, the Gospels, ethnos, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's everybody. Go and share me with everybody. But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Things are getting serious now, right? It's almost like... Instead of, Jesus knew exactly what what was in front of him. And instead of trying to slow it down and avoid it, it's almost like he's trying to speed it up. From our perspective, it's almost like he's trying to speed it up. Like he's intentionally ticking off the the religious leaders. I mean, he's doing, he's protecting those that need to be protected, but he's also going after these guys. I mean, from his perspective, it's perfect timing. From ours, it's like, Jesus, like, slow down. We're in Jerusalem. You know, you already know these people aren't crazy about you. After this, the religious leaders go to Jesus and they're like, where do you get this authority? What makes you think you can, you can teach these things? And why, why are the people responding to you the way that they are? And he says, okay, I'm going to ask you a theology question. Do you answer the question correctly? I'll tell you. They couldn't. He didn't. <laughs> he goes right from there, the beginning of chapter 12, and he tells a parable. Right? I call that an anti-establishment parable. But in the parable, the bad guys are the religious leaders. It's so much so that in the parable, they go on to kill the Jesus figure in the parable. And these guys are not stupid. and they, they recognize what Jesus is saying and doing. 
and they, um, now they switch from like wanting to, to kill him because that would take too much time and plenty. Like, we just got to get this guy arrested and shut him up. We, we have got to put, put an end to this nonsense. So they set a series of traps for them. And the first one, they send in the Pharisees and the Herodians, right? Pharisees, the guys who added to God's law, the Herodians who were in league with the Romans. And they go to him with a question. And wherever the Roman Empire was, they charged the people who they took over a tax. And they, these guys don't usually pair up, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Their interests are usually at odds. But they come together and they go to Jesus and they say, should we pay the tax? Should we pay Caesar's tax? And they think they got him. Because if he says, yes, pay the tax, then he's a Roman sympathizer and he'll lose the people. And if he says no, then the Romans can pick him up as an insurrectionist rebellion leader right then and there and put an end to it. Instead, Jesus says, oops, where'd it go? Says this, Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. This was Jesus being like, yeah, whatever. Give Caesar his. But give to God what is God's. Remember what was on that coin. Tiberius Caesar, son of God. That's the title that Mark starts his gospel with, right? Jesus, Messiah, and the son of God. That's why he's writing, to tell people about him. And Jesus is like, give to God what is God's, everything, your worship, your allegiance, give Caesar his, his coins. It was a way, um, it was a way for Jesus to, to communicate like his, I don't know if disdain is the right word, but his disagreement with the, the Roman occupation and everything that the Romans did in a way that allowed him to answer the question that, it didn't work. The, guy, the trap didn't work, right? Only Jesus is just, he's so brilliant. He's so brilliant. All right, so that doesn't work. So then the Sadducees are like, we got him. We'll get, we'll do. And they go and they ask him a question about marriage and the resurrection. So here's the thing about the Sadducees, right? They don't believe in the resurrection because they only read, you know, acknowledge those first five books of the, the Old Testament. There's... Um, and they read it very literally, they think there's no such thing as angels, they think there's no such thing as the resurrection. So Jesus, even I, can be like, that doesn't make sense. That's, like that's got to be a trick question. So Jesus calls them out, right? And instead of falling for the, for the trick question, he calls them out in this response. Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? These guys pride themselves on a literal reading of those first five books. And Jesus is like, you guys aren't even reading those right. Because he goes and he cites a passage from those first five books and talks about how God is the God of the living and not the dead. And it proves indirectly that there's a resurrection to be had. Right? Jesus shuts them down, tells them that they're wrong in their thinking, and they don't understand scripture or a God that can bring people back to life as the God of the living. So how did these people miss the point? Right, the money changers and the merchants. In short, one way we can think about this is they saw God and the things of God as a way to profit, 
as a way to further their own agenda, as a way to fatten their, their, own, their own wallets. Right? That's how they missed the point. And as we look at this, like, unfortunately, we hear way too, way too many times about uh, fraudulent financial dealings with, within church institutions, right? And the, the TV preachers and, and whatever else. There's, that's all too, too close to, you know, it's, it's too, too real a thing. Um, but when it comes to, to us, right, we're not, we're not trying to fleece, you know, old, old ladies living out in the country out of, their, out of their retirement. But how is it that we miss the point by going to God to further our own agendas, right? God is about meeting my needs on my timeline and, you know, making sure that I'm healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's a hard question, you guys. These, the, when we think about missing the point, it, it can be hard to, to come to terms with this stuff. It's a, like a internal, an internal conflict, right? So how do we go to God on our terms looking to, um, to benefit us? The Pharisees and the Herodians, they, the Pharisees looked to their rules. That was how they missed the point. They thought it was their rules that were going to save them. They thought it was their rules where they found their identity, Right? They were really proud of the fact at the way they kept all those crazy rules. Um, and the Herodians thought it was the government, politics, that was going to save them. And no, those are traps that we could easily fall into, right? looking to other things to save us, looking to other things for our identity, looking, for other, looking to other things to give us meanings. And the Sadducees... Um, they, they put God in a box. They designed this nice little box, and they stuck God there. And because of that, we look at some of the consequences. Right? The, the Sadducees, they were going to miss out. And when we put God in a box, when we limit God to um, our current knowledge, and our knowledge of God should always be growing because he's infinite and we will never be able this side of heaven to fully understand him. Um, we need to be open to learn. We need to be open to be challenged. We need to be open to questions and not miss out by, by putting God in a box. Um, we talked about the Pharisees and the Herodians worshiping the wrong thing. I mean, that's the complete, complete missing missing the point, looking to other things for our salvation and keeping people from God. The money changers and the merchants um, were directly making it harder for people to get to God, right? Whether it was their money changing table set up in the temple courts or the racket they were creating, like that's where Gentiles were supposed to pray, right? And they're in like a marketplace. And it also, like all of these, when, when we as people who claim to follow Jesus miss the point, we keep, we keep people from God by this disunity that we create. Right? There was all these fractures within the ancient Jewish society. Not unlike the current Christian environment. Serious, serious fractures and divisions. And to the outside world looking at that, that's not attractive, that's not appealing, it doesn't reflect Jesus well, right? The, the consequences of, of missing the point are, um, 
they're enormous. They're absolutely, absolutely enormous. Um, Rudy, my thing just disconnected, so if you could move me to the, the next slide. So what, what is the point, right? If we talked about missing the point and the consequences of the point, the point is the, the last, it's not a test. I t- said there's one guy who kind of gets it. So the Pharisees and the Herodians go to Jesus, the Sadducees go to Jesus, and then one, one religious teacher, it doesn't say if he's a Pharisee or a Sadducee, or it doesn't say anything, but it just says he's a, a, a religious leader, a teacher of the law. And he, he goes to Jesus with a question. Jesus, what is the greatest command? Which one? Jewish law had the Ten Commandments, and there's 613 on top of it. He's like, which one? Jesus says, the greatest commandment is this. He goes back to that, that Deuteronomy passage. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Dude only asked for one. Jesus gave him two. He said the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And those two, the reason Jesus gave him two is because those two things are interconnected. If you love God, you will love people. You cannot love people without loving God. I wanted to um, kind of unpack this idea a little bit because this is the point. I mean, we could be sitting here thinking, like, what these people, religious people, 2,000 years ago made mistakes. How does that impact me today? I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I go through life and I'm like, this is hard, man. <laughs> this hurts. This is confusing. And often, it's because I'm missing the point. And sometimes, it's because people around me are missing the point. Right? When I don't love God and love others, it makes life a lot harder. Because that's what we were created to do. We were created for relationship with God and other people. And when we don't live out of that creation mandate, life becomes really hard. And when other people around us, when we're trying to live like that and other people around us aren't, we also feel the effects of it. This, I would go so far as to say this is urgent. right? The, even the, the scope of the world around us, regardless of, of what issue or thing that you look at, it's because people miss the point, this point of loving God and, and loving others. I want to show you a verse. Um, oh, here it is. It came back. Look at that. Thank you, Rudy. You fixed it. This is um, Micah 6.8, an Old Testament verse. And it says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Which is just kind of a a little bit of an extrapolation of Jesus' love God and love others. The original language, to do justice, it literally means to create justice. To where, there, where people are hurting, where there is oppression, where people are poor in resources, poor in spirit, it is incumbent upon us as the people of God to create it. This is why I get really frustrated when people who claim to follow Jesus talk about justice not being biblical, right? And there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes along with it, but you cannot give the Bible an honest reading and, and walk away with it thinking that part of my job as somebody who believes in this book and believes in Jesus is to bring about justice, right? And the way we, we kind of 
the handle that we put on that here at Crossroads is reach out, right? We reach out to the poor in spirit, to the poor in resources. Um, to love kindness. The original language, the, the actual translation of that is to love, love. Ahava hased. Those are two ancient, those are two Hebrew words for love. And when they're put together like that in the Old Testament, it means unconditional love. So I'm going to give you a definition that is a combination of Dallas Willard, John Mark Homer, and me. I don't belong in the same category then, but this is, um, it is the inner readiness to secure the good of another, especially our enemies, regardless of the cost. That's what unconditional love is. The inner readiness to secure the good of another, especially those who we might think of as our enemies, regardless of the cost to us. Love, love. And the last one, to walk humbly with your God. What is the, what is the proper response for people as image bearers of God to that God, the uncaused cause of everything that we see and experience who exists in perfect, he exists in perfectness. He exists in love. He exists as kindness. He exists as mercy. He exists as justice and as holiness. And we're created in his image and we stumble along the way and we try to do his job and we, and we try to decide what's right and wrong for ourselves rather than listening to him. Right? If we can make that recognition of everything that God is, everything that we are, good and bad, image bearers, gifted, loved, called, sinful, and then live our lives out of that position called to create justice and to love mercy. It's a lot of stuff, you guys, a lot of history, a lot of thoughts, a lot of people. We don't want to miss the point. Right? We may not be able to change the world, but we can control us and what goes on around us. So I have one, one thing I would like you to, to do this week. This is... You know, it's our mission, that's the church's mission statement, short and sweet, love God, love others. And our model, look up, lean in, and reach out, right? We look up to God for everything, for identity, provision, salvation, forgiveness. We lean into each other for support, comfort, and challenge, and we reach out to those poor in spirit, poor in resources. I want you to have a conversation, maybe somebody you came here with, somebody you met here, sometime this week, somebody you live with, how are you doing at looking up, leaning in, and reaching out? Right? Are you, maybe there's one of them that you're doing better at than others. Maybe you're doing, maybe you're tracking in all three of them. Maybe you're like not feeling any of it. But that's the challenge for this week. To have a conversation with one other, with one conversation, an intentional conversation about looking up, leaning in, and reaching out. And as a community, if we can encourage each other and challenge each other, support each other in that, make sure that we're not missing the point, we can, we can start to make a difference right, right here and now. Let's pray.
thank you, Jesus, for meeting us where we are. Thank you for um, boiling things down for us to loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to loving our neighbors as ourselves. God, would you make us the kind of people who that's what our lives revolve around, loving you and loving others. Would you point out those areas where we're doing, where we're doing well and how um, we can continue to walk in those ways? And Jesus, would you, um, would you challenge us in those areas where we need to step up? Uh, for those of us who need a, a comforting redirect, would you do that, God? For those of us who need a, um, maybe a kick in the pants, would you do that? Jesus, we want to be people who reflect you well. We don't want to get in the way of others finding you. We don't want to miss the point, Jesus. We want to live with you and for you and through you.